three, two, one. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Real Human Podcast. I'm your host, Blaine Ward. We are back with another week, another topic, another guest. Uh, you know him, you love him. I, I mean, I would hope so at this point. Uh, a regular friend in the pod, my buddy Jimmy. Jimmy, how are you, man? Good to have you back. Hey, hello. Hi, guys. Hello, hello, audience. Yeah, they better say hello back. If they don't say hello back, then... I, I am back to talk about more Zack Snyder movies. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like this is just our never-ending cycle. I think yeah. your, your, your arc in this podcast is just going to be us talking about every Snyder movie at some point you know yeah. at some point I am going to take over your podcast feed oh okay just do a, a three hour essay on um well just a lot of Zack Snyder movies it's gonna be go. yeah I'm gonna drive a lot of people away I can't <laughs> That'll drive everyone away from the pod. And, you know, I think by then, that, that'll be the self-destruct button of the podcast. It's like, yeah. all right, when I'm all done, I'll give it to you and you blow it out of proportion. Yeah, it's if like, you ever feel like, I'm just, I'm not feeling it anymore. Right. I'll come on. I'll talk about Man of Steel for a solid 12 hours and everyone will leave. Exactly. And it'll be like, you know, he went out with a bang. And honestly, that's the best way to go out, I feel like. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, you know, recently there's been a little show that's been out, uh, one of HBO's like most watched, uh, shows at the moment, like as far as HBO Max original goes, um, this is Peacemaker. This is the John Cena led superhero show, uh, from James Gunn, uh, you know, PC comics kind of takes place directly after the events of the Suicide Squad, um, where it follows kind of Peacemaker, who's this, you know, vigilante uh patriotic you know asshole and uh he's forced to save the world with a bunch of black ops um it's great gun has described peacemaker as like a, a douchey broy kind of captain america yeah I, agree. I think he yeah he's basically a captain america that is representative more of actual america than like the ideals of america <laughs> Right, he's very much the flip side to like your Steve Rogers. He's yeah. like, hey, it's a good guy, and it's like, oh, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, like um, America is like trying to be Steve Rogers, but currently still at Christopher Smith. Unfortunately, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, what were your expectations uh, walking, like, kind of walking into this show? Because um, well, I know, at least personally, I was a little like hesitant when i heard oh you're doing it about this guy only because like you know in the suicide squad he's basically a bit like a secondary villain in that movie and you're like oh uh, what are you gonna do with him but i don't know he's a one kind of a one note character in the suicide squad but he cena actually does have a few scenes in there and gunn has talked about this being why he wanted to do a peacemaker show he there are a few scenes I guess spoilers for the Suicide Squad. Yeah, spoilers for any like DC comics movie spoilers in the last all. like decade. Yeah, but continue. There's a scene where he kills Rick Flag, and right. then there's a scene where he's about to kill Ratcatcher Two, and in both of those scenes, you see a surprising amount of nuance from John Cena, professional wrestler. Yeah. Which I mean, we have to say that wrestling movies are or wrestling in general is a good 
gateway to movies because it it is acting. It's a you're lot putting on a performance. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's those those guys are definitely actors, but like it's the difference between stage and screen that ham that hinders a lot of them when they try to transition into movies and TV. But uh, there are some people who wrestle who can really work a camera as opposed to a crowd and Dave Batista and Dwayne Johnson and now John Cena is the next one I think and I don't know if it has something to do with the width of their shoulders but I think it may I think it does I think it does you know you look at their physique and you're like well I'm intimidated um yeah and then all they have to do is be a little bit vulnerable and everyone's like oh my god Right. Oh, exactly. that, that's a person and not just a giant monster made out of boulders. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the cool thing about Cena in the Suicide Squad, I agree with you. Like, he's a very, you know, at, like strictly on the page. He has like kind of one joke, and that's like yeah. he's an asshole. Like, no one can, you know, uh, no one likes this guy. And yeah. I, a, a lot of people uh, said that Cena was a standout from the Suicide Squad. And I mean, I, it's hard to, uh, you know, hard to disagree with him there. Um, yeah. But there is a few moments in that movie where you're like, okay, Cena's like digging for something here and you don't exactly know what that is and i think that's why the show works so well where gun knew he's like okay i can work with this like i can give him what he needs um like he does what he's supposed to do for the movie right for the film and like a lot of the performances in that movie you you get the the sense that it's a more three-dimensional character but because it's such a big ensemble cast you only get a few moments with certain characters and right and, i mean gun does a, a very good job of of juggling all those things he's i mean he's always written movies with big casts yeah um his i mean his strength in dialogue i think is why he gets away with that because he can draw a lot of characterization out from a very short scene and that's absolutely i feel like it, i feel like gun's ensemble is just like the way he's able to write characters just makes them all very, very likable, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's an underrated aspect to television. It's like all of these characters in the Peacemaker show, I was like, I would die for any of them. And I was getting like Absolutely. very worried as the show was going on that they would kill off like characters that I really like. And I think that's a sign of a good show when you start oh, to yeah. get like worried of, you know, the fates of your favorite characters and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he's always written stuff like that too. Um, I'm thinking of Dawn of the Dead, yep. which we've talked about on this podcast. Absolutely. Uh, as a great, I mean, just some great dialogue that draws some real depth out of what is essentially like one of the tropiest movies, but it's intending to do that. And then also you have Scooby-Doo. Right. No, but seriously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like, that he, falls exactly he, in line with what he's doing. Like very campy kind of one note characters and without sacrificing the camp and the the kind of quirkiness of each of their personalities, he still manages to get some kind of new dimension to them. Right. And I think feel human. Right. And that's the the great thing about Gunn is like he is digging at the bottom of the barrel for like his kind of cape projects. Um, Because, you know, like before this, the general population has never heard of Peacemaker. We've never heard of Weasel. We've never heard of Vigilante, aside from like a few episodes of Era. His Marvel stuff. No one had fucking heard of Groot. Right, exactly. And now everyone. Who the hell is Mantis? (laughs) (laughs) 
And we now I'm like, miss. I would die for Rocket Raccoon. Exactly. Yeah. In a um, so I think we all knew that like Gunn would have this in the back when he announced it. And of course, everyone's like, all right, I'm ready to see, you know, I'm ready to see what John Cena can do. I'm ready to see kind of where they're going to take his character. And to and see Gunn play in an R-rated playground. Beautiful. Just, you can tell that that's where he got where he cut his teeth because like he he started working for uh trauma yeah which is just the hardest of ours right uh but it it makes sense because i mean it's kind of going back to his roots but he he still manages to keep that that kind of playful tone that he established with guardians and that kind of that comedy that he started really working with with um i guess Slither had a little bit of comedy. Super is like very kind of dark comedy. Yeah. And he he has a really great understanding of bringing darkness to comedy without making it like genuinely very sad. You yeah. Can do some, yeah. You can kill a bunch of people and you can have a bunch of really dark stuff happen and you can still make it kind of silly and fun. Right. I think I think it's that balance is why like everyone mm-hmm. loves him. And I love him. Like this guy, you know, like that scene afraid. with um Bloodsport and Peacemaker competing to see who can kill the most people <laughs> is fantastic. Yeah. But then to subvert it at the end and be like, oh, those were all the good guys. Yeah. He that was killed all of the good guys. <laughs> everyone in everyone in the theater I was in was like so shocked on like whether to laugh or not. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> exactly. You don't know if you should be laughing, but you really want to. Right, exactly. A um, lot of the peacemaker humor is like that, which oh, absolutely. Kind of, I mean, it it makes sense because he's Christopher Smith is just this piece of shit who was raised by a a Nazi. Right. I guess we could we could talk about like the character of Christopher Christopher Smith. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this is and again, like I was saying, like Peacemaker does some terrible actions in the Suicide Squad, and now when he's in. Yeah. his own show i was like okay how are they going to make me root for him that was he the main does, question i was walking he does this. less terrible things but he does say some terrible things right and but, i i think what they do to at least what i i got out of the pilot was we see his dad in the pilot right yeah mm-hmm. yeah the the minute you see him interacting with his dad you're like oh this okay i see it now which it explains is, everything. Yeah, exactly. The relationship with the father is a big part of like traditional hero storytelling and like right. old Campbellian, all that bullshit. But also the the idea of giving this like kind of old my brain went entirely blank. I have no idea what I was saying. It's all good. I think you know, to have a Nazi, this is what it is to have a Nazi supervillain come in and to make him the dad of Peacemaker adds an entirely new dimension to this character that in the comics we've we've seen him have a dad who's a Nazi, but his dad was literally just an like an actual Nazi, not like a, a neo-Nazi supervillain or a white supremacist like the white dragon guy. He was right. just an actual Nazi. And you yeah. can't really do that. No, it's too on the nose and the timeline doesn't fit. But like to to have his father also be like a cape explains a lot of like he is this violent piece of shit. But I also get where like the super heroics come from. 
you can kind of see like why he he decided to take on this like vow because like his dad had already kind of done that yeah i mean it's a simple idea in concept where it's like all right the way we're going to make peacemaker kind of vulnerable is we're going to have somebody worse than him his father super easy but it it works absolutely no you completely buy it and you can see like how much and again john cena this big like mountain of a man you can see how much he's like towering before his father in all the scenes you know he's afraid of the guy Um, to, to tell his dad this story about this kid being tortured and that's like how he connects with his dad you can see like oh yeah he's he's reaching for the most fucked up things he can to like get love out of his father right exactly and i i mean we got i just wanted to mention we have we have robert patrick you know the t1000 himself (laughs) so good he's really great in this i I was i was wondering how they utilize him and he's just a delight to watch even though he's saying absolutely horrific things that should never be spoken about but uh you know he was he can do robert patrick can do a lot with just a look yeah which i think is why they cast him as a terminator and that's why he works so well in this show too is you you get a lot of nuance from the actors because the, the script itself is very, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great dialogue for sure, but Gunn does rely on Cena and Patrick to really bring this humanity to these characters who are saying and doing these awful things. Absolutely. And, and I think the whole cast like that, the whole cast brings so much humanity to it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and the nice thing is, is that because it's like a TV show, you know, like we are not, it is not action to action, like 24 seven, we are getting like really strong, like, you know, a dramatic through line here, um, mm-hmm. which allows, and this is the biggest surprise probably of the show for me is like Cena as a dramatic actor is a force to be reckoned with. He, he is outstanding. Out of the park. Yeah. He actually like, I mean, obviously he committed any yeah. wrestler has to commit, but like he, he also has the talent. I was I'm not going to say I was entirely surprised because I've, I've seen him in some other things, but like you can see that he was flexing his acting muscles right? in, in this more than any other project he's been given. And I don't know, like maybe this is just a me thing, but I feel like when a lot of like wrestlers turn actors, when they're like operating in their movie, there's always kind of that they have to have their image, you know, like with anything with like The Rock, you know, I love The Rock, but like with any of the movies that The Rock's in, it's like, okay, here's his image. He's going to be cool. He's going to be suave. Yes. Not really all that vulnerable as much as you might think, you know. And here on the flip side, we've got Cena, who's like, you know, half the episode, he's like just sobbing and he's like a mess. And you're like, oh, man. I think we we see that with Dave Batista too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Cena is kind of in the middle between The Rock and Batista because he he is willing to play to the like, I'm a giant wrestle monster right like the comedy of that more than i think batista is but he he also is willing to be vulnerable and kind of a piece of shit and have some characters like step on him and stuff like it, it he's willing to play kind of a a shitty person and not like the strongest of people yeah um, batista i think actively s- searches out roles that are like very very vulnerable but so he's on one end of the spectrum and on the other end of the spectrum is the rock who is just always the best at everything 
Right. And it's it really incompetent. Yeah, I mean, they got their they got their lanes and the, their lanes are fine. But I, I I guess that was just why I was surprised. I'm like, wow, like mm-hmm. he he's going for it here. I um, want to talk about when we were we or you mentioned um the big question with Peacemaker is how do you make the audience give a shit about such a piece of shit? Right. And I think in the first episode there's a scene where he first meets his crew like the the backup that he has um, yeah yet Adebayo um Steve Agee oh my god I forget uh Economist yeah Economist yeah uh Harcourt and Mern yeah and the four of them are at a restaurant and it really sums up the Peacemaker character entirely he shows up in costume <laughs> to this restaurant which is fucking ridiculous already so you see that he's oblivious and then he sits down and he calls the waitress sweet cheeks yeah which is fucking awful and everyone actually reacts to him saying that the right way they all look at him like what what yeah exactly and he looks back and he's like what uh, she had a nice smile it's like he's genuinely so oblivious he's like actually just very dumb right but as soon as they say like no that's about her ass he says, oh, my God, that'd be so inappropriate. I would never say that. No, I'm saying she has a nice smile. So, like, he's he's willing to hear to hear you and to listen. But, like, his, he's so thick-headed and dumb that you really have to drill this stuff into him. And right. over the, the course of the season, we finally see him, like, you see some of those walls break down. Absolutely. But at, at the pilot, you really need that moment where you see oh he's not approaching this from necessarily like an an evil place he's just kind of dumb he's bad at things he doesn't know better to an extent which is never an excuse for his behavior and it's not treated like an excuse like he, he still has to deal with the consequences of his behavior but it it illustrates that he's not like a, a terrible person at his core. Like he's willing to listen and grow. Yeah. And the thing about the first couple episodes is like they are very, you know, I've heard this complaint kind of going around where they're like, they're a little too joke heavy. And I mean, I do agree. Gunn has a very specific like writing style for his show. And that can be for you. That's against you. Comedy is completely, yeah. you know, subjective. However, I do think it's kind of interesting how the show starts off like very mean with his jokes and as it goes along like you know Cena become like you know Christopher Smith becomes a better person quote-unquote better person as the show goes on and he's becoming like more and more respectful toward others and I actually really think that's kind of brilliant especially with his relationship between um him and Economist who you know he uh lovingly nicknames Diebeard uh, and you know he just won't shut up about it and you know as an audience member you're like all right you know we get it you don't need to do this but at the end you know you have that great moment when economists kind of you know explaining like why he died his beard and stuff like that and it's really like soulful monologue and you can see it in cena that he regrets what he was saying and it's just uh, yeah. stuff like that it's just brilliant i like how the first time he says die beard it's played for a laugh by the show but the second time it's like okay so he's you're starting to like learn something about Christopher Smith, the person like he kind of bullies people around him. Like at first you can see he's a, he's a dick a little bit, but then as you get into like 
episode two, three, four, you see he's a dick because he doesn't know how else to be. Right. And then by the end of the show, he's still making these dye beard jokes. And the audience is like, all right, enough with this shit. It's not even funny anymore. Right. Which is exactly what the characters around him are feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I want to bring up uh, kind of the last key member of uh, this show, um, and arguably, in my opinion, the scene stealer, um, Adrian Chase or Vigilante. The oh. interpretation of him in this show is delightful. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> Vigilante takes on kind of the same role in in some ways that Peacemaker did in The Suicide Squad. Exactly. He, yeah. He's not a villain to the characters and he doesn't have like a a heel turn in the way that Peacemaker did in the Suicide Squad but he does represent like the far end of this like anti-hero good guy or bad guy spectrum like he's he's way off on the side like yeah I love I fucking love killing people for loitering yeah he's a complete sociopath in every way shape and form and the further Peacemaker gets from him the more like humanity you feel from him it, it helps to illustrate that he's not actually purely the worst right a peacemaker isn't because you have this character who is just the worst <laughs> who just like throws knives at cops and hits them right in the face and they're like vidge we said no killing he's fine at worst he'll be paralyzed right like, he holds guns to like veterinarians worst. and you're like what the hell like why <laughs> why would you do that yeah I love him so much. Shock, points a shotgun at some vets. Yeah, he's just an ass. Right. Yeah, I found him just delightful. And Freddie Stroma, he's British. He was in a Harry Potter movie, which is shocking. Um, yeah. Because you can't tell. Like, his accent's Fantastic like, flawless. Accent. Yeah. Um, but you know, hilarious, too, and still kind of lovable. Oh, absolutely lovable. Like, yeah, no, him, I was scared. I didn't want him to die. At the end of the watching show. him shit on a bunch of Nazis. No, and then like beat them up in prison. Great. I wanted to stand up and applaud when I watched that. I was but like, you, you do get moments of humanity from him. Like when um, the guards come in to break up the fight in the prison, he looks at Robert Patrick and he says, you're a bad dad. Yeah. Like you can see that he's trying to help his friend. Like he does care about Chris. He's just doesn't know how like people work. Right. Like he doesn't, his brain is not letting him understand that, hey, stabbing people is kind of bad. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and then the other, like, you know, we're, we're, I feel like we're doing a good job of like connecting these points together. But like the other character who I think really helps out in this dynamic a lot is Adebayo, who's kind of the newcomer to the whole like, you know, secret agent sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's revealed in the pilot that she's the daughter of Amanda Waller. Um, which it was nice to see Viola Davis uh, show back up. It's always a delight whenever she's on screen. Um, it's nice to have this this character who is not from the the cape world or right. the black ops world, who can just look at everything and be like, "This is so fucked up." Right? She's an audience. You guys, are up- you guys are upset with me for the things I may have said to you, but I saw you shoot a person in the face twenty minutes ago, and we're not talking about that. And that's weird. Right. She's being put in a room with all these, like, you know, killers and sociopaths. And mm-hmm. I think having her play off of Peacemaker works really well because she's like, you know, kind of the more, I mean, she's got an agenda that goes on, but um, she's not really, you know, she's more forced to do that, if anything. But uh, yeah. And, you know, it, 
for him to reach out to her, Gunn described the, the show as a love story between Chris and Adebayo, but not like a, a romantic love. Like they just, it's the the building up of their friendship. And you can see, I mean, at the end of the show, they literally say like, you're my BFF. Right. Like he, the more he reaches out to the one normal human being, the more you see Peacemaker become a normal human being. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just stuff like that where you're like, oh, that's so rewarding, you know, to come across like, and it's only what, like eight episodes long? Like the fact that you're able to get that amount of, you know, n- that amount of screen time to like actually like develop all these characters past. Because uh, Harcourt and Economist were both in the Suicide Squad, like bit yeah. parts, you know, like they're, you know, the C-list uh, characters who, you know, they're like the tech, they're the guy in the chair. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, you come back to this and you're like, oh, wow, I love these guys, which is just great. Yeah, it it makes watching The Suicide Squad better. Right. Like, you go back and you're like, oh, I know so much about these characters now. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, I guess, what is, so, you know, we talked about Gunn's affinity for characters. I think the other great thing that Gunn does is just go completely crazy, um, whether that's oh, yeah. with, like, the lore or whether that's, like, his plot. And just the way this series unfolds is... Fully embraces the weird. Right. Like, we are talking about butterfly creatures that, you know, enter through your body, through whatever hole, um, and control your brains. And there's, like, an alien takeover. And, you know, why not? That's all I had to say. It's like, of course. Of course. It's yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily want to, like, spoil every single beat of the show in case right. some people haven't seen it. But, like... To have these, I say that, but I've been spoiling shit this whole yeah, time. Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> uh, to have these butterflies or these alien invaders kind of represent not the darker part of Smith, but like where his trauma comes from. The idea of like this taking on a vow to like try and help the world or stop bad things from happening, but to do bad things in order to do that. it It's wild how gun can take these weird kaiju shenanigans and actually squeeze some meaning out of them right and have and like hold up a mirror to the character of peacemaker using this fucking weird space (laughs) the one big the one big tooth makes it look like a big baby i love that thing yeah it looks like uh have you seen the movie monsters versus aliens Yes. It looks like uh, uh, Insectosaurus, I think is what they call it. It absolutely does. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, this is great. Um, But yeah, like stuff like that is just wild. You know, uh, throughout the show, they're constantly name dropping like the most obscure DC characters. And it's like, all right, Kite Man, canon. Fat Mike, canon. You know, it's like, this is great. This is everything I want. James Gunn has even said in interviews, like, listen, I don't know exactly what universe or what canon my show is in, like I put in, you can see at the end, he, he put in a little bit from right. like Snyder movies and a little bit from like the, the new canon. And he's just kind of mixing and matching and whatever works for him, right. which is fine because DC is doing the multiverse now. And that's the whole point is that you can just kind of do, what do whatever you want. And I, I'm okay with that. Like I like, yeah. I like the fact that we are getting different stories. Cause I don't, Right, at, at least right now, I don't see a need to connect everything just yet. Like, as long yeah. as you have a good central story and that you can, right. you know, begin and end, 
I, I'm not complaining. But Gunn very specifically did say Batmite is canon. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Batmite is canon now, which fuck yes he is. Absolutely. God damn it. Bring him in. Bring him in for Peacemaker season two. I um, think Batmite was originally going to take the place of Starro in the Suicide Squad. Really? He, he couldn't get them to sign off on it. Interesting. That could have been interesting. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, that'd be great. But I, I, I can understand why they wouldn't do it. They need to have some sort of Batman in that movie or sure. some kind of reference to that canon. And they were that was all still up in the air. So I get it. Yeah. And I mean, some people have gotten angry about the fact that, like, you know, again, spoilers, I suppose. But, um, you know, the Justice League show up for a quick second in the finale, which on its own is hilarious. Uh, that the joke that they're doing. Um, great payoff to a joke about Aquaman. Uh, just the fact that they're late to like this world saving event is really funny. But a lot of people were angry where it's like, oh, why, why is Cyborg and Affleck and not in it? I'm like, I, that's not James Gunn's fault. Like, <laughs> the, the two actors who are in it were actively filming DC projects at the time. Right. They were able that's to grab in it is because yeah. they were on set somewhere else and they could just call them up and be like, hey, you want to do a thing? Right. And yeah. it was delightful. And I was like, this is funny. Like, the it's logistics just a joke. of bringing back Ray Fisher after he said he's not working with Hamada, even for HBO Max, they're not going to go through that whole rigmarole just to right. get him back for a cameo. And they're not going to pay Gal Gadot a billion dollars to come in for 20 seconds. Yeah, she's too like, busy filming Red Notice too, you know. Oh, boy. Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, could do that. Why not? Yeah. Again. I will say, um, another thing I appreciate about the show is I didn't know how much, like, connective tissue it would have to the Suicide Squad as far as, like, are we going to see people come back? Because I was hearing a lot of, like, people where it's like, oh, you know, he can face off with Bloodsport again. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't know if I want to see that. Like, that sounds a little pandering. And really, the only, like, you know, you know, fan service reference we get is, like, Amanda Waller in the pilot. And, like, that's it, you know? Yeah, and then we do get confirmation that the show is kind of a sequel to The Suicide Squad at the end. Absolutely. Waller's whole agenda is revealed to the public. Right. The whole plan is revealed. That There's no way that that's not going to come up in the future. And I don't know if they've been talking about another Suicide Squad movie, but I know they've been talking about another show spinning off from it. Yeah. And they're already doing a, and they already confirmed a Peacemaker season two. So I'm excited to see what they set up in that, especially where at the end, you know, a plot thread that could be kind of up in the air is like, uh, you know, the, the, still the effects of Christopher Smith's father is still hanging around. And I think, you know, that, that idea enough is really thematically rich and I'm excited to see kind of where they take it if they decide to go places with it, which I'm sure they will. I am hoping for a, uh, Justice League Suicide Squad crossover movie at some point. That'd be sick. That'd be sick. I mean, they've done it in the comics and it's worked quite well. They're it, doing it in the video game coming up, you know. I mean, you don't even need an entire cast for the Justice League. All you no. really need, I mean, speaking of like power scaling and shit, all you really need is like one superhero and then a bunch of like D list villains to fight them. That's, That's what I'm interesting saying. enough. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'd watch Aquaman beat the fuck out of Peacemaker for 
an ungodly amount of time. <laughs> That'll be that 12 hour pod that you were talking about. You know, you'll do live coverage of the Aquaman Peacemaker fight. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always amused. Uh, I was telling somebody that like, I, what I want is I want them to get like Leonardo DiCaprio as like the condiment king for two minutes and then have him slip on his own like ketchup or something and crack his skull. And he's only in it for like two minutes. And I'm like, this is all I want. Um, watch the fuck out of that. That's what I'm saying. There's so much to do with this. I don't, you know, and that's why I'm happy that Gunn's kind of playing in this area right now where he's like, listen, I'm unhinged. I can do whatever I want, but I'm going to give you something that is like actually emotional and exciting. And it's like, this is great. And, and uh, the future of the Peacemaker show is really interesting to me because it, the last thing that the series does is the like one big cliffhanger other than Robert Patrick still being around is the reveal of the Suicide Squad. So I feel like if we are going to get other characters from the movies, they may be showing up in later seasons, right. which works for me. You know, you can't bring in the whole cast for season one or it feels very pandering, but. Right. I mean, but it's, if you're patient only, with it and you give yeah. it in like a way that, works it into the story and not like you know star wars it, it's like okay all right i yeah, like this like christopher smith has interacted with these characters before it would make sense for him to see them again exactly and to have more suicide squad members show up in season two maybe sent after peacemaker for him to just keep killing more and more d-list villains that's fantastic right it's hilarious i would love to see that absolutely um hype man in the face like that's i i'm so here for it i crave it i crave it i want it now mm-hmm. um the last Although, thing i want when you said hype man, hype man is a real character now thanks to tom king's run on batman nice love that still still kite man but a character but at least he's a character right exactly and you know that's 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 about as good as you can ask for Can't um for more vigilante though i really want to you can him. You can tell that Freddie Stromo really wants to to dig deeper into that character. And I feel like Gunn is the type of writer who, with his more one-note characters, will always take the time in sequels to flesh them out more. And to, like Yondu in Guardians 1 is not like a one-note character, but he, he serves a very specific narrative purpose. Right. And then in Guardians 2, you, you really see he gets... He's the best character in the movie. Right, exactly. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what Gunn does with that. And now that the show has been a success, I think we're more likely to have like Viola Davis return as a series regular. Uh, I'd be so in for that. You have no idea. I'm already here. I'm ready for it. Uh, I, I hope that she doesn't just come back and immediately kill her daughter's wife because <laughs> so far the show has not killed its gaze. And I know I'm here for it. Hey, that's a good thing. I, uh, you know, you gotta, we gotta make sure that that's uh, always the case. Um, the, the lesbian couple has a happy ending. Right. They that's get great. a big, like a romantic kiss and the camera swirls around them. Right. They do the Michael Bay thing for the lesbian kiss. And I'm like, this is great. This <laughs> the is Michael Bay thing. No, no, Michael Bay spins his camera at 360 degrees. It, yeah, it is the Michael Bay thing. I, listen, I, I'm, a, I, I'm in film school. I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I will say, the last thing I wanted to say about Peacemaker, um, maybe the best opening credits ever. Oh my God. Each episode, it feels like it, artistically, it's doing something new with each episode. It's different. That's the thing, it's too. It's telling you something each time about them. 
Right. Because, like, they'll drop, you know, the, do you really want to do you really want? Like, they'll drop that. And sometimes it'll be funny. Sometimes it's, like, really, really sad. Like, the way they're and able some, to range it. It's sometimes it even feels like a reveal. Like, once you start to find more, find out more about the butterflies, there's a moment where you watch the, the opening credits and you're like, oh, wait a minute. And yeah. it changes the, the way you see the whole sequence. Right. And, you know, the fact that they're able to do the dance completely straight face, just it, it's incredible. And the, the couple seconds at the end of all the people just breathing. Just like <laughs> and English, like, just breath, like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> delightful. Delightful. So. Just the idea of uh, having seen a completely straight face put on this, this dance number as Peacemaker. Right. Pointing his gun at stuff. You can just the, the straight faced like putting on a mask trying not to think about the violence he's committing it even from episode one you're like oh hey there's meaning in this and then by like episode six you're like fuck there's meaning in this right right it's brilliant and he apparently he said he wanted like right and apparently gun said he wanted to like he's gonna like try and outdo himself for season two and i oh man oh so excited so excited but yeah i mean peacemaker arousing success um i mean we kind of knew that gun had this in him but i mean come on like he knocked it out of the park and i'm excited to see especially because i think guardians 3 at the moment is like kind of his last stint with marvel and he said he wanted to like kind of go more into tv so if he keeps giving us stuff like this i'm all in he is slated to direct every episode of season two awesome so oh, yeah, yeah, it seems like he's moving into more long, long form storytelling, which I mean, it works really well for someone with his skills and dialogue. So I'm, I'm really excited. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, and but... Whatever spinoff he's working on that's not Peacemaker related, I am also here for. Exactly. Talk of it may be being a rat catcher spinoff. I'd be okay with that. It's supposed to have a very different tone, which uh, would be great to see. To see uh, a more comedy-led uh, gun project, and then a more dramatic one, also. Right? Can we have a uh, a weasel spinoff? That's what uh, I want. That's all we want. I want a weasel spinoff where he's trying to prove his innocence because Gun said <laughs> that he didn't murder those twenty-five children, and I believe him. You know, look in Weasel's eyes—that is a look of innocent right there. And uh, you know, I want a court case drama with Weasel. <laughs> I want to order Weasel. <laughs> I want to see Weasel versus Peacemaker. I'd watch that. As long as they don't kill off Weasel. I think Peacemaker oh, will have to die good. in this situation. Like, sorry to Peacemaker. Either, uh, yeah, either Peacemaker dies or they fall in love. I'd be okay with that, too. You know? <laughs> we know that Peacemaker is canonically bi. That's true. Which apparently was improv on Cena's part, but Absolutely. really fits his character, too, Yeah, if you think about it. And not just because he's a hot mess. <laughs> also because like you can see that it's it's one more thing that strained his relationship with his father right exactly that's one more reason why his father hates him out of the million but yeah completely agree all right so we're gonna pivot um you know talking about how crazy this dc universe is uh who knows you know what universe it all is in at the moment um but we are going to uh rank all the dc movies and that is not uh, besides joker because that doesn't really count um yeah it's mm. it's kind of its own thing uh although that's kind of the direction they're going with all of these that's true yeah this ranking i feel like this is like kind of the last era to make this ranking because we have the matman coming out in a week which 
you know, I'm so excited for you. I have no oh, idea. I am ready for it. I want to inject into my veins. I need it now. Um, but, we're, you know, we're going to rank the 11 DC movies uh, since the Dark Knight trilogy. So Until everything. Until the Flash comes in and makes everything. Every, all of them canon. And then Snyder right. has teased a possible Final Crisis movie. Or at yeah. least he has a pitch for a Final Crisis movie, which is all about multiverse characters. So who fucking knows, man? I have no idea. So we're just going to take this very, very literally. <laughs> well, we still have a small enough number to rank without going insane. Right. And so here's what we're going to do. So because there are also like different cuts of these movies, and this is just very complicated, we're going to simplify it. And we're going to say Justice League is its own thing. Justice League and Zack Snyder's Justice League are two different things. And then for they are wildly different movies, right? So, and yeah. then for this, um, for Suicide Squad, the 2016 one, and Batman vs Superman, we are only counting the extended because they are, you know, superior in whatever way you want to quantify. So yeah. that's what we're doing. The um, extended cut of Suicide Squad is still not the Ayer cut, but it's what we got. Right. Right. Uh, Ayer has released some footage from the Ayer cut. It's a lot darker. It's a lot more about. Harley and Joker's like abusive relationship. Right. It was why, a soulful drama. So yeah, I you can know. see why the studio moved away from that if they were trying to imitate Deadpool. Right. But a very dumb decision all around. Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, so here's how we're gonna do this. Uh we have eleven titles that we all have ranked, and uh we're just gonna go you know i'm gonna do 11 talk about it you're gonna do 11 talk about it and then we're just gonna go up we're gonna go worst to best because you know like i was saying to jimmy before the podcast started like we need to end on a note of happiness here you know like we we need to feel good after this um yeah and i think that the nice thing is that like dc's at a point where like their good movies are starting to outweigh the bad ones which is nice 100 percent because yeah. um, everyone was roasting dc in the beginning where it's like wow they don't have any good movies and now they're like no we actually have a couple bangers here um I, I do want to say that I appreciate the variety coming out of DC. Absolutely. The tonally, MCU, they're all completely different. Yeah, the MCU tonally kind of follows the same through line, which makes right. sense. It's structured more like a giant TV show. Right. It works fantastically. But for DC, yeah, they're, it's more creator-driven. It's more auteur-driven. It makes sense. That's what's made them money in the past. Right. So. And it's a good direction that if they're going to continue going that way, I'm excited to see what they're going to bring. I think right. it may bring more longevity to it. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, as long as they make, you know, as long as they keep bringing back the characters that we like, you know, we just complain. All right. So I guess I will go first. Um, okay. Number 11, 2016 Suicide Squad. Uh, original or extended, <laughs> I do not give a shit. Um, the reason why this is lower because some of you might be asking, wait, there's a worse one. Here's the thing. We have not had the superior version to this movie. That is the reason why it's the worst one. Is because we have not had whatever, you know, David Ayer claims is, you know, his, the cut of the movie that he wanted to make. We don't have that yet. With the full orchestra instead of some random needle drops. Right. So what with- we have here, even with the extended edition, is a complete, like, mess in every way, shape, and form. From the editing to... I mean, it's basically the editing. That's pretty much the big problem here. It's edited like it was like thrown into like a wood chipper. Um, character motivations make no sense. There is a good cast here, but the plot is like almost incomprehensible. I like her. Great, uh, great Robbie. Design. Yeah, sure. 
I like Margot Robbie, and so I good. like Will Smith. So good. And I think I like whatever crazy energy Jai Courtney's going with. Um, there is an idea here, and I think if we get the full cut, I'd be interested to see how it plays out. But as it stands, I never want to watch this movie again. Um, Valid. That is why it is at my number 11. All right, what you got for your 11? My number 11, I'm sure you already guessed, is the, uh, I think, 2016 cut of Justice League. Justice okay, League. okay. I think it was se- 17, but you're, yeah. you're, you're one year up. You're fine. Yeah. Just to have Man of Steel, which is kind of like Terrence Malick taking on Superman, and then Batman Superman, which is like a, a political thriller. Uh, and then to follow it up with a comedy full of bad CGI and like horrible, horrible cinematography. It, it's so jarring as the end of what stands now as a trilogy. It just doesn't, it doesn't work in any way. It doesn't address things from the previous movies at all. It's a, the fucking, the lip, the, the bad mustache CGI lip. I know. Atrocious. You know, it's nice though, because like at least we got Henry Cavill in Mission Impossible Fallout, which, you know, yeah, infinitely better get, than uh, Justice League. So I'll think. Yeah, we did get like one of the best Mission Impossible movies out of it. Right. But I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have done the thing where he like reloads his fists without a mustache. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to see Superman reload his fist. I think that's what I want. I want Henry Cavill to like, re, you know. Yeah check his arms and then bam you know it'd be mm. great he knocks some guy into the sun it'd be amazing um no i I could, I could go on for actual hours about how much i hate this movie but <laughs> you won't have, have to, to. you won't have to because i at number 10 have the justice league i <laughs> do not like this movie uh mm-hmm. even when i saw it in theaters i was like this sucks um, I, I tried so hard to like it in theaters and i almost did even though it was clearly tonally a mess yeah but then superman said being dead felt itchy and i i almost threw up in my mouth and i was like that's relatable that, that's that's me during this movie um <laughs> yes cyborg's barely a character and there's very strange conflict between a lot of the characters it doesn't make any sense you Shepard can Wolf's literally a- see Oh, sorry. You can literally see Ray Fisher cringe after saying "booyah." I know. Yeah, you can definitely see that now. You're like, "Oh, my poor guy." Um, oh boy. It's not good. Really bad. Terrible. Terribly shot. Just an ugly looking movie. And my last thing I'll say about it. And again, I can rant about this round. You know how in the Avengers, you know, the Avengers, right? I'm not, not to compare apples to oranges here, but the Avengers. There's that heroic shot of all of them standing in a circle, and you're like, "Holy shit, this is cinema history." I am watching. Like, I, I'm seeing the pages of a comic book come to life. These yeah, are... A culmination of 11 years of movies. Right. Like, I am... These are heroes on the screen. They are all together. Never for a second did I feel that in the Justice League. Because I am watching this, and by the end, they're all standing, and I'm like, this is not earned at all. They do not know each other. There is no... Like, I cannot get a sense of their relationships with one another. This does not work. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I will say... Every now and then, there's kind of a funny joke, and uh, the scenes I like in this movie are basically transferred over to the better cut, which will be coming up. But that is to say, yeah. uh, fuck this movie, it's really bad. Yeah, that's my number 10. What do you got mm-hmm. for your number 10? 
Well, for number 10, I actually have Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh, wow. Incredible. Yeah. I just... To have a movie with so much potential, again, right? Uh, that is just utterly destroyed by studio interference and bad editing and reshoots, it's so frustrating because you can see the bones of something really interesting in there. Yeah. But the third act is such a mess. It, there's no tie-in to the rest of the movie. The characters are suddenly like best friends for no reason. After knowing each other for like an hour. Yeah. It's, I don't think I have anything else to say about it that you didn't say. Fuck that movie too. <laughs> yeah. I, again, we are pro air cut. If that ever comes out, I will give that my full respect and I'll, I'll, I'll try and see if it's a better version. I am open to whatever he's, his artistic vision is. Um, but as it stands, no, <laughs> no. Um, where do you stand on Jared Little Joker, by the way? Do you like Jared Little Joker? I, I, I would say that to take a, a villain that is supposed to be like an abusive crime boss and cut him down into like a just a, a simp with some weird clothes yeah. is you're not going to get anything good out of that. And I'm sure that there's something really interesting in his performance in the air cut, but we haven't seen it. We haven't seen so, it. We don't know. We don't know. Right now, they just kind of took all the stuff that reminded them of Heath Ledger and left that in the movie and threw everything else out. Right. And so it feels like an imitation because that's what they tried to make it. When yeah. it, it, it did not sound like that's what they were going for at all. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, think I was he's really funny. excited. I'm a, I'm a big Joker fan. So I was sure. really excited to like, to meet like Johnny Frost and to see his relationship with Harley Quinn. But then these characters are like, barely in the fucking movie right yeah he uh, jared leto only has like what like 11 minutes of screen time or something like that yeah he Less? shot like 40 minutes of stuff so. right and then you just cut him down yeah i mean mm-hmm. like, okay um all right so i get like an ending of his arc they just like shoehorned him into the post credits right and it's like all right uh, movie's over and you're like what huh that's not an ending um and it so it kind of takes away harley's agency in the movie when she oh yeah only helps people because she thinks her boyfriend is dead as opposed to telling him to fuck off and going to save the world right right we will get to that (laughs) we will (laughs) don't get me started i have a i have a rant coming up that a lot of people will be very happy to hear um okay so number nine and i know this hurts you and i want to apologize but i gotta i gotta let it off my chest it's batman v superman now here's the thing i like this movie better the more I watch it. And I think it's one of those that will grow with me over time, especially now that we have the Snyder cut and I'm able to see, okay, this is the through line that he was going with here. Yeah. However, I do think this movie's a bit long and I don't exactly understand where everyone's coming from. The extended edition is a, is a very, very clear improvement because you're able to see like the plot and like why people are acting the way they are. Yeah. Um, I still feel like Superman doesn't really have a lot of agency in the movie. I feel like it's a lot more of a Batman movie than a Superman movie. Um, it really, it yeah, it 
I feel like Zack Snyder was like, I just want to make a Batman movie, but I'll, and, and again, DC was trying to like rush their universe. Um, it, it felt like he was making a movie. Yeah, they're both kind of the main character, but there's so many others like around Superman. Right. Uh, there's Lois, there's Lex, there's Perry, and then Batman only has Alfred. Right. Him. So you're, you're seeing the characterization of Superman through the characters around him, because that, that's kind of how Superman is always. Like. Of course, yeah. You can't do a ton with him. No. And especially in this version, like you, it's a good idea to see him through the eyes of others. Um, yeah. I, I get the feeling that the, um, not the assembly cut, but the first cut that he, I, I feel like there's, there is a version of that movie that is maybe 10 minutes longer that yeah. works even better. Probably. Uh, I think if they had focused more on the intricacies of like the CIA and the plot and like the, the stuff that Lex is doing with the government to manipulate people and how he's pulling the strings of the media and things like we get hints of all of that. Uh, not in the theatrical cut, we don't, but we yeah. do in the ultimate cut and we, we get characterization for all of these people, but Right. There is, there's some things that you don't think about in the moment because you're like, you're along for the ride with this, this huge bombastic soap opera style movie. Right. And here's the thing. There's some amazing sequences in this movie. Um, I think the opening is super strong. The whole like first way trying to navigate through Metropolis during the finale of Man of Steel, really riveting stuff. I like, uh, I actually really, I'm starting to really like Jesse Eisenberg's take on Lex Luthor. Um, well, I the think- more we learn about Mark Zuckerberg... <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the more we're like, oh, oh okay. Oh, I see what he was going for. Yeah. Fair uh, and I actually really like Ben Affleck as Batman quite a bit. Um, I think if he was given his own movie, he doesn't want to do it. So stop asking him. But that if, script was going to be so good. Yeah. If they gave him his own movie, I would be very interested to see what he would do with that. Because Have you heard what the script was? Yeah. It's going to be like him and Arkham, right? Against like a bunch of villains. No, it was going to be Deathstroke systematically dismantling his life. Well, that sounds incredible, too. I think he was going to kill Alfred. He was going to... Oh, my God. Like, take away his fortune. He was going to... I mean, it was going to be this kind of almost an ending to the Batman story. I mean, he was still going to show up in, like, the other Justice League movies. Right. But he was slated to die in those. So to to play with the character at the end of his life, as opposed to the beginning, which a lot of movies do. I, I was really excited for that, but I- Yeah, I they, there's that. a lot of good setup here for like where yeah. they can take it. The problem is, is like, we don't know if they're ever gonna have any like payoff to what yeah. they're doing. Snyder, Snyder works on like evocative ideas and images in a way that doesn't always get his point across in the way he thinks he is. Right. Um, but it, it's all still in there, but yeah, it doesn't, the way that movie was marketed, for one thing, it doesn't function as the movie you think it's going to be going in. Right. Um, it doesn't feel, it feels off in a way. Yeah. If, you're not a, if you don't have some inkling of what to expect. Right. And then the last like 20 minutes of this movie is just kind of noise to me. The whole doomsday thing. I, I get it, but I didn't, I didn't need it. I do think. Oh, I have some quotes from the book of Revelation to read you. Oh, oh, oh. Some like comic book references and shit that we we should go through but that's going to take a solid six hours so we'll, we'll do um, that later that's fair but i mean great Hans zimmer score there's some good performances good ideas but eh, eh, it's not when i return to um 
but I mean, it's miles better than the other two. So just let it, let it be known uh, between nine yeah, and 10 on my list. There's like a, there's like quality. three pages of like uh hit enter uh, button. So, you know, <laughs> that's all I have. Uh, what do you have for number nine? For number nine for me, I have Wonder Woman 1984. Nice. Okay. All right. Yeah. Which, I will be fair. I love that movie. It's a good movie. Uh-huh. The problem with this movie is it doesn't, while it does everything it wants to do, it doesn't actually consider the implications of like a lot of the things that it throws out there. Right. I know it's it's kind of trite, like we've talked about this before, but the fact that Steve Trevor takes over the body of an unwilling human man they didn't and mean to do that. Fucks him multiple times. That's not okay. There are holes. There, there, it's, it's too many holes to jump through. That's the thing. It's like you could have easily just said, "All right, Steve Trevor's back," and we would have bought yeah. it. It's a wish. Could have just materialized, right? Like we don't, we don't know. It's fucking magic. We we don't know how things work. It's right. fine, but right. but they. It feels like they they were trying to do like a Christopher Reeve era. Like this is kind of campy and fun, but they didn't think about the fact that audiences have kind of grown up since that era not in the way that like we don't like camp or we don't like fun but we think about the implications of things a little bit more now and you you have to work that into the script writing process right you need someone to be like hey wait isn't this sexual assault yeah exactly there was no one in the room to say that it's like why are we asking these sort of questions you should have like thought about this you could just ignore you could just skip right over all this by just having him like walk around a corner and be like weird i'm alive now right um this is actually another one of uh a case where i i actually have this at number eight like i'm i'm like right here with you um i want to say though cheetah rules in that movie just doesn't yeah a lot of time and pedro pascal rules in that movie absolutely the problem is it's like it's kind of a mess in the script and it's like there are really good ideas here and i think thematically and emotionally, it works really well. But the problem yeah. is, is when you bring it into the logical sense of things, which I know sucks to me, like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. But it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's not. When you watch the movie, you're along for the ride. But sure. To a certain extent, you should be able to think about a movie after the fact without constantly having wait a minute moments. You know, you, you shouldn't have to constantly be like, but what about this? What about that? Or if you are, there should be answers. Right. I think that's what drew me to Batman Superman is that the more you think about like, what are the logistics of like, how does this work? If you think about it, they have built in answers to the script. Right. Whereas Wonder Woman, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They're just kind of shrugging like, who cares? Come along for the ride. And, and I'm here for the ride, but I want to watch this movie twice. And the second time I watch it, I'm going to have some questions. Right. And I think the thing is, is like they try to like over explain it in Wonder Woman. Right? It's like, oh, here's this thing about all the wish stone. I'm like, we don't need all this lore no, about the wish stone. It's a wish stone. We don't magic. need to know anything about this. They magic. Yeah. And instead, they got to jump through all these holes where it's like, oh, you know, only if you touch them. And then apparently not if you touch them. And it's like, what? explain this is why humans invented the idea of magic right yeah it's, it's to make this easier to understand just yeah. say magic jesus christ yeah i don't know i i agree with you that the four lead performances in this movie are all great from gal Gadot, chris pine Pedro pascal and christian wig 
it's just like it's such a very 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 weird movie and it's like you can see what they're aiming for so clearly it is like at its core is trying to be like you said it's like kind of this christopher reeve superman era superhero movie where it's supposed to make you feel good and like hopeful about the world but it's just so bogged down by its own logic that it completely like it 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 almost like leaves you empty by the end and you're like oh man like i wish i can get something from this because the scene where wonder like um wonder woman has to say goodbye to steve like she gives him up like actually got in a genuine emotional reaction out of me yeah great and then right and then it's led into like oh i can touch people through the tv and i'm like huh (laughs) what (laughs) it felt like they took yeah what were you saying i was gonna say tonally there's some whiplash right yeah, I don't know. It, uh, I don't know. I was excited for it too. I was like, I was ready to defend this. I was like, this is going to be the best. And uh, uh, I don't know. Um, okay, so what's your number eight then? My number eight is actually Aquaman. Okay, all right. Up front, I fucking love the character of Aquaman. Sure. And the version of Aquaman we get in Zack Snyder's Justice League as like this this loner kind of like prophesied king he's king arthur but with like lovecraftian sea monsters sure i fucking love that and that's what they sold james wan on when he took on the project originally but you can see that at some point along the way when warner bros and more specifically i think jeff johns wanted a switch to like a a more lighthearted, more colorful tone that even though Wan is a great director and he managed to make it work he you can tell that he didn't feel it as much as he could have and there he when he was talking about aquaman back before batman superman came out he was talking about like this is a character that everyone thinks is lame but i'm going to show you is actually fucking awesome right really cool and has like giant sea monsters and stuff and we do get giant sea monsters in the movie but one is a horror director and it feels more like a power rangers movie that's fair. Yeah. There's a few scenes where Ron gets to like flex his kind of horror capabilities, like whatever yeah, it was like. In the trench. Yeah, that was cool. But I agree with you. Yeah, it feels like it's a lot more of like a fantasy thing than like what Ron's normally known for with like it's, kind of his horror tendencies. He said it was very like romancing the stone, but I get right. the feeling that that's not what he pitched originally. I get the feeling that that's what he settled on. Right. That's kind of what it turned out to me. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I, that's fair. I, Good I, I, movie? not it just doesn't there's a lot of heart in it but it smacks of like something happened behind the scenes and i'm not entirely sure what but like i feel like maybe they cut out some stuff from the trench and replaced it with more nicole kidman yeah something something happened because it it just feels a little off it's an odd duck it's an odd duck for sure but there's Um, some really cool moments and it actually made the character of aquaman like not only palatable, but pretty dope. Right, like, likeable. the idea to turn Aquaman, like, you know, even from his godlike status and kind of justice in the Zack Snyder Justice League, the idea to make him relatable as kind of like this dude bro, like, you know, almost like Fast and Furious level character, I think yeah. is a brilliant decision in a way to make Aquaman likable. He was the butt of so Momoa, many jokes before that. Momoa is the perfect guy to take this on oh Especially jason momoa the, sex god i love that guy yeah 
especially because he has like comedy chops. And we see that in Peacemaker where they're joking about him fucking fish. And right. they told Momoa about it. And he was like, that's hilarious. I'm so on board. Put right. me in your show. Momoa's a champ. perfect guy for this. Yeah. Absolutely. But not he doesn't have to try super hard to be cool. And that's exactly what you need out of Aquaman. Yeah. I, I definitely feel like Jeff Johns wrote um, all of the New 52 run of Aquaman and really okay. reinvigorated the character, but he definitely made it like a, there's a lot of like royal families and a lot of high drama with like bright colors and weirdness going on, which I love some weirdness, but it, it, it does not mesh with the movie that the audience was pitched on back with like Batman Superman or when you first see that character so it's a little jarring when you jump into Aquaman but once you get the idea like okay this is this is more of like a big fun kind of silly movie they have um Pitbull cover um, Africa yeah yeah. (laughs) really just amazing but it's Pitbull like that's great Oh yeah, I, I hope Pippo makes a return for uh, I Home and the Last Kingdom. That's that's what I need <laughs> in my life. Um, okay. I'm, I'm interesting to see the tones match because now that he's established that more colorful tone, um, and kind of like a little comedic and silly, romancing the stone basically. Now that he's established that, but talked about how he wants to make it scarier. Right. I, I'm really interesting to see how he kind of bridges that gap. It'll be interesting. I'm excited. James Wan is the one to do it. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. He is he has shown that even if weirdness happens behind the scenes, he can make he can salvage a great movie out of just about anything. Like he did that with Fast and Furious when Paul Walker died. Exactly. Furious Seven, like arguably one of the best Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. Um, He made a it made a billion dollars. Right. Aquaman made a billion dollars. Yeah, the man yeah, I love that guy. James Wan is unstoppable. He has created multiple franchises by himself. Right. Basically. I mean, Lee Winnell helps with Saw, but yeah. Right. Um, okay, so I guess it's my turn, and I'm my number seven. Uh, I'm going to go with Men of Steel. Um, now, here's my thing with Men of Steel. I think the first two-thirds of this movie is excellent. And the mm. problem is, the last third is just kind of noise to me. I feel like it's kind of an overextended final battle um, that doesn't really have any of like the dramatic wheat that the first two acts had. Now I love Michael Shannon in this movie. Uh, he is nasty and over the top and completely hamming it up. And I think he's excellent. Uh, and I like kind of, you know, obviously after the dark Knight, this was kind of their reaction to it where it's like, okay, we need a grounded Superman. How do we do that? And I think the kind of their idea of how to bring him into this world is an interesting one. Um, you know, there's some dumb stuff with Pa Kent every now and then, but I, I, I like the direction that they're going with it. The only thing hindering it is the last like 40 minutes where I'm like, I'm checked out. Uh, however, Hans Zimmer absolutely crushed this score. I listen to this score on a daily basis. This score rules. Um, but yeah, that's my manic steel take. I'll be more interested to hear what you hear when it's on your list. What do you got for number seven? All right, my number seven. Oh, my number seven is also uh, Man of Steel. Actually. Oh, there we go. Awesome. All right. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I really do love this movie. Yeah. I, I love the, the theme of, of choice. We see him reading Plato. We see this brave new world type, like genetic fascist uh, 
alien society at the beginning. We get some really interesting stuff about just the power of choice and like his his dad's obsession with making sure that his son has this choice of whether or not to out himself as Superman. Um, yeah. I love the the talk about uh, adoption and the you are my son scene. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that. Um, but yeah, I feel like the third act could be 10 minutes shorter with like a, a more intense dialogue scene between uh, Superman and Zod and it would accomplish the exact same thing. Uh, I like the ending where he, I, I do like him snapping Zod's neck and like he doesn't kill ever after that. That makes sense to me. That that works. I, yeah, I, if I, he like, use that as like a form of like, okay, this like, yeah, and you can see him even in Batman versus Superman where like that, the effects of that traumatized him, you know. Yeah, at, and you can see that he's learning from it too in Batman right. Superman. It, it does very much function as like the first step toward being Superman. Right. As opposed to like him being Superman at the end of that movie. And I think a lot of people were expecting that for him to like for it to be the entire origin when Snyder's talked about like as a deconstruction, he wants the origin for Superman to be five movies long. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I, I really think that that final act could be cut down. I, I think all the beats within it work and it, it makes sense to me, but yeah, the, it does become noise at a certain point. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure how you fix that other than just cutting a little bit or just trimming seconds off of everything because like it it really does work pacing wise it just it's the same fight yeah i guess it was just more i i guess i wish it was more of like a battle of ideologies and not just a punchy punchy you know uh on like apocalyptic final battle which i mean you know it's cool visually and i I do appreciate how they kind of took that backlash and worked it into Batman versus Superman. Um, oh yeah, well I feel like it was always that was it, always a part of it too. It could like, have been, yeah. Especially because you you see all these, unlike the MCU, you you really see people dying, right, on the streets of Metropolis. You you see the destruction, and it it's very much, it's pretty on the nose about like hey, this is kind of like nine eleven, you guys, but <laughs> right. I mean it. it it makes sense. It fits, especially for the sequel having like Batman represent this. Like, I'll I'll get to that when we get to Batman Superman. Actually. Okay. But, all right. All right. Yeah. Season what's to come. I like it. I like it. Um. So tell me what's your number six? Okay, number six. I have Wonder Woman. Uh, I think Wonder Woman is absolutely delightful. I think no one really saw this coming. Like, I don't know if anyone knew that this would be as good as it ended up being. Um, I think Gal Gadot and Chris Pine have some of the best chemistry in a superhero movie, like, ever. You can see in real life that they they get along famously, too. Right. Because, like, when does a love story, like, ever really work in a comic book movie as much as, like, this one does? Like, this is one of the best examples that I can think of, aside from, like, you know, Andrew Garfield, Peter, and Emma Stone, Gwen, like, that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, I, I think the love story angle works really well. I think the fish out of water narrative is a lot of fun. Uh, the No Man's Land sequence is one of the best superhero set pieces of the past decade. Um, yep. My problem is... Wait, can I guess? Yeah, say it. Say it for me. Third act. Yeah. Who gives uh, a shit about a big CGI battle? Yeah, because I think the element, the element is there 
and especially in this one, like there's a really good complex idea that you could have presented where it's like, oh, you thought you defeated the God of War. Well, it turns out men are just evil in general. And I like, like, I feel like that ending note could have been a lot better than the note they end up going with, with Ares. Kind of that, but also a big battle anyway. Right, exactly. And I'm like, we could have just removed the big battle. Um, and, you know, David Thewlis, as much as I love the guy, he, he's not a physical threat and he he's looks kind of goofy. There's something about a big fuzzy mustache that doesn't make you the most intimidating person. Yeah, a buddy of mine said he looked like the dad in the wild thornberries. And, you know, unfortunately, I got to agree with him. did. Yeah. Um, But aside from that, I think this movie really uh, soars. I think it's delightful. Quick fun fact. Yeah. That CGI fight was not originally in the movie. Right. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah, because it feels out of nowhere. Yeah. Because at least, okay, at least with Man of Steel. It doesn't fit. At least with Man of Steel, like you can you can clearly see, like, okay, this was the plan. This is what they were doing. Yeah. Wonder Woman it, building up to this giant devastation, and like it the rest of the story is gonna be about that. And it right. And then Superman surrounded by like the consequences of his decisions in the form of like all these ruins. I kind of understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Like it's built into the script, but and then here it's just okay. Here's Ares. Here's a fight. But, and I'm like, okay, and now also his, he smashed up some planes and he's wearing them as armor now. Whatever. Cool. Okay, uh, I will say in that third act, uh, Steve Trevor's sacrifice, that emotional beat works really, really well. Oh, definitely. I think that was for sure in the original script. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if we got a good ending, this could be considered like one of my favorite superhero movies. It's just that good. But, yeah. you know, by the time it ends, and I feel like a lot of movie has to kind of depend on how you end it. It leaves it just a little sour, but I do really like Wonder Woman. I think it's great. What do you yeah. got for number six? My number six, Birds of Prey. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. To be fair, I love Birds of Prey. Uh-huh. This movie rules. I love the like kind of noir, weird vibes. It's almost it's difficult to describe tonally, but it works so well. And the yeah. villain, Roman Sionis Black Mask, is so fucking creepy and gross and upsetting in the best way yeah but there the action in that movie just feels kind of separate from the rest of the film that's like, I feel fair. like you could do the whole movie without a single action scene that's interesting yeah i mean i i, I can see where you're coming from they did that. bring in chad stahelski who did John Wick. John Wick. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why it feels separate yeah. for you. And he directed. He directed the action, not Kathy Young. And mm-hmm. she has said some kind of passive things on Twitter about like, yeah, hey, they they kind of edited my movie too. Right. Uh, you can. I don't know what it is with Warner Bros, but they just really want to edit people's movies. And it, yeah, they keep shooting themselves in the foot literally every time. Yeah, that's but interesting. Okay, they're getting less than it's getting less noticeable as time goes on so hopefully we're moving in the right direction baby steps i hope but so i i do absolutely love that movie it's just some of the action doesn't make any sense to me like when harley quinn beats up um an entire cell block full of inmates mm-hmm. while the sprinklers are going off in slow motion i love it it looks great logistically that's very weird <laughs> i don't need it Sure. In that scene, we already saw her shooting a bunch of uh, cops with beanbag guns and like confetti and stuff, and that's fun enough. I don't need to see you beat up the poor, right? Beat up the cops, that's fun, but not the like. I'm... We don't need that. Sure. Um, 
the final fight where they're they're all just kind of spinning around on like carnival rides and yeah. hitting people with giant hammers kind of works but we could just have like a a smaller version of that we don't need a big fight with a hundred henchmen we can just have like 10 guys and just like a really cool kind of a bit more brutal fight yeah i i feel like knowing kathy young that's probably what she was going for but yeah they they wanted some more like outlandish action they wanted it to feel like a comic book movie a bit more sure yeah Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll get to my piece on Birds of Prey in a second. But I, I, I do like the complaints that you're bringing up. I think those are very valid. Great um, movie, though. Yeah. I, was like, I love a lot of DC movies, so it's getting difficult for me to rank them now. Right, exactly. We're at in, this point, yeah. We're all in the area where movies. all of them are really good. Yeah. Um, okay, so my number five is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Now, I was wrong about this movie. I thought this was going to be awful because i watched the justice league the night before and i was like man this sucks how do you make this into a good movie and then i watched the snyder cut i'm like this is a good movie um it is astounding that warner brothers did not have the confidence to uh you know give snyder the reins now i will say i think i and i talked to you about this before when we were doing our end of the year pod i think there's a three-hour cut of this movie that's like the best thing ever i feel like a lot of it is Snyder kind of going for broke, and I completely respect that. Oh yeah, like he he made it clear that he in he put stuff into this movie that definitely would have been cut in a theatrical release. Exactly. So you kind of have was, to look at it as like this artistic piece. Um, yeah, he was like showing fans like this is it's a little closer to the assembly cut than you would have gotten, but it's really interesting. And there's some stuff that he added after the fact with like Jared Leto. Right. And he wanted to add in uh, Green Lantern, but for some reason they wouldn't let him. So he did Martian Manhunter instead, yeah, which is he cool. He, he wanted to at least have an actor of color play that role. Right. Um, he was apparently considering not doing the, the whole movie over the Green Lantern thing. Really? Wow. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I think this works a lot better. And especially given the context about these characters, like, oh, wow, there wasn't supposed to be this really annoying, dramatic conflict. Like, wow, they actually work with each other and talk with each other and form relationships. Cyborg is the heart of the movie, and it makes complete sense why he's in there. Whereas yeah. Justice League, he's only in it just to walk around and say booyah and here he's got uh, like the emotional crux of the movie let let's talk about how the flash actually gets a moment to shine right the flash gets the coolest scene in the movie yeah. um which that scene's awesome and i still look it up on youtube to the say um, that scene where he meets kiersey clemens iris west mm-hmm. is so good that they included her in the flash movie <laughs> <laughs> exactly they're like we got to bring her back um they're like, oh look actual chemistry right so yeah it's like this movie just works like it's like okay i see the light i see the bright side i see the light at the end of the tunnel um there's a like i understand that each character gets the full needle drop like an entire song right cut like half of each of those songs absolutely i didn't need the other thing too is like wonder woman's like oh yeah like i could have just used her theme i think her theme's a lot better but Whatever. Snyder's got to Snyder. He's got to do what he's got to do. Throat singing a bit more sparingly, please. Right. Or just get the throat singing guy from Dune. You know, just the... Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think that'd be kind of funny. But no. I feel uh, like that's that's not uh, like a feminine power. No, you're probably right. 
Never mind. I take it back. Um, <laughs> it sounds more like he's trying to burp the alphabet, but you're right. That's fair. Um, but yeah, rousing success, uh, you know, whether you're on Steiner's wavelength or not, um, that's kind of up to you, but I thought this was a rousing success. Uh, what is your number five? My number five, drum roll please, is uh, Shazam. There you go. Very nice. Uh, I love Shazam. Oh, yeah. This movie is at once uh, like a kind of a Christmas movie. It's a family movie, but it it's scary, but mm-hmm. not too scary so kids can watch it. It just it works. It's totally the cool works. amount of scary where it's like, hey, kids, yeah. check this out. It's great. Yeah. Like the the 90s kids movie kind of scary. Where exactly. It's like a little spooky, but the kids win by the end. You Completely know? agree. Yeah. It, the twist where all of the, the kids get all their powers at the end is such a great setup for a sequel. It's such a fun way to have him like em- embrace this new family everything in this movie works i don't yeah. really have any major complaints about it actually yeah. it's just not it's not the movie that i would rewatch the most sure but it fucking rules absolutely hell yeah, yeah. love that um okay my number four and you know you're gonna if we weren't doing this on zoom you would shoot me uh oh man i hear what you're saying and i kind of agree with you however this movie has an octopus playing the drums and i think that's the greatest thing i've ever seen you are Um, entirely correct (laughs) (laughs) uh i it is a mess it's a complete mess but the camp of it all really just wins me over every time i think this movie is so goofy and it is it is very jarring to see it after snyder's justice league because Mira's got a different hair color. She has a different accent. Willem Dafoe doesn't have long hair. Like, it is not exactly, you know, continuity-wise make any sense. But as you, if you look at this as, like, a goofy, goofy, goofy superhero movie, I think it is a blast. Um, Jason Momoa, I would die for him. Patrick Wilson is chewing the oh, scenery. So good. Um, so and, good. You know, a lot of people are like, listen, there's a lot of expository dialogue. And yes, I agree. But you have Willem Dafoe delivering the dialogue. So it's a, it gives a pass. That doesn't count. It's Willem He's the Dafoe. only person allowed to give expository dialogue. Young um, Aquaman sucks. I right. Say. No, I, he's Weird awful. horse face. But... Yeah, he's not great. And Amber Heard, like, obviously a terrible person. Fuck Amber Heard. But she also just doesn't have any energy that Momoa is bringing. It's like she can't match the energy that Momoa is bringing to this movie. Yeah. So she's he's, a weak spot. Amber Heard fits really well in the like the Snyder version, sure, of Aquaman, but not necessarily in the like the new like the movie version of Aquaman that we get. It's just right. it's not who I would have cast in that role. Right, and yeah. the other thing I appreciate about Aquaman is I think the action scenes are actually like really well coordinated. Um, they are. It feels different. Yeah, when like he shoots them. James Wan, like he's a very you know wide lenses. And the camera will spin around during action sequences. Mm. Um, and it's all pretty easy to follow. The fact that there's like a giant battle between underwater sea crabs and like dolphins and stuff like that. Like the fact that you're able to understand what's going on. Pretty impressive. And I like the last fight between Momoa and uh, Wilson at the end with their tridents. I think that's pretty cool. Um, the, the scene where they fight Black Manta and they're yeah. running across the rooftops with the... Right. And the camera's following them the whole time. Like, this is cool. Um so yeah, I, the I guy thought, who gets his helmet smashed and has to breathe toilet water to survive. 
Right. All of this movie is great. It's cinema. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's probably where I'm at with Aquaman. I just think, you know, it, it's a fun time. Is it worth anything? Who the hell knows? Um, but I don't know. That's what I got. What do you got for number four? This is weird. I have three movies listed left. What movie am I missing? I've done Suicide Squad, Sex Yes. Uh, have you just said anything about Wonder Woman? Uh, I did both Wonder Womans. Did mm-hmm. I? Oh, I didn't do... Uh, the first Wonder Woman. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Number four for me is actually Wonder Woman. Yeah. Great. Third third act, kind of messy. I Everything else, cold. The first two acts of that movie are perfect. Oh, yeah. Really perfect. I feel like the, the side characters really did get kind of left by the wayside when it comes to the third act. But yeah. that's... All to be expected from Warner Bros. at this point. But to see the chemistry between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine is amazing. And the fact that they made Themyscira work and feel real mm-hmm. is it's so important. It, even more than like Atlantis, just getting the Wonder Woman lore correct for the right. first time on film is <laughs> fucking wonderful. The movie is just groundbreaking in ways that it shouldn't be groundbreaking to be like we should have been there already but just to have a big superhero blockbuster that's more about compassion than action and it's more about the this romance and to to really make it a, a very good love story that's also a superhero movie that's what i'm saying like love stories almost never work in the superhero genre at least at least in modern day the fact that this shines through it's like thank god only like spider-man kind of works with love stories right even then it's usually like a, a high school love story but with right. this we get like a real like two three-dimensional characters that meet under strange circumstances and like actually fall in love and get to know each other right. and you see their relationship grow in like fits and starts throughout the movie yeah i agree i see where you're coming from yeah i mean wonder woman it's classic everyone loves it and i think classic. like it, it was a, it was a good cultural moment that we all had back in 2017 you know it was a nice time in oh, that yeah. area when that movie was coming out everyone's like hell yeah this is what we need and uh you know i, I like I, I appreciate that we got that moment um Okay, so I'm at number three. All right, so my number three is uh, Birds of Prey. Now, I actually, I, I like, I, I, I kind of see where you're coming from with the complaints. I think my thing is I just like the fact that I'm able to understand what's going on in the action sequences. You know, oh, it's yeah. not like cut to shit. And I'm like, oh, there's like actual choreography that's going into it. And Margot Robbie is actually like doing those fights as well, which is really impressive. Um, I feel like- in that movie is great. I will yeah. Agree. Um, I, I just like that, you know, I think the vibe of it's great. I think it's very colorful. I think it finally gives Harley, you know, the much needed emancipation that she needed from Jared Leto. The fact that he's not in the movie is a very, very good thing. Um, I don't know. I just, it's just a yeah, very fun. That. Yeah, yeah I, he wouldn't have fit. Um, but I don't know. The idea that, you know, now that Harley's not under the Joker's protection and now everyone in Gotham's after her, I think that's a really fun setup. Um, I weirdly enough my complaint with this movie even though i like it is i just wish there were more of the birds of prey it's a very harley centric movie and that's fine but i like the other supporting characters so much so that i just want to see more of them especially uh mary elizabeth winstead's the huntress who borderline steals the movie and she's just not in it enough and i'm like oh man um yeah 
I really want to see Journey Smollett Bell get a Black Canary spinoff. I agree. I think she's getting one. There was talk of her appearing in um, Zack Snyder's Justice League at some point. Oh, okay. So Interesting. Get a sequel. Um, I mean, there's talk of just about every character. That's true. Up, so. Yeah, but I don't know. It's a blast. I think the soundtrack's great. Um, and they drop uh, the catch show, like, I'm a woman or whatever at the end, and it's like the greatest needle drop I've ever heard. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's my number three. All right, what do you got for your number three? My next one is Zack Snyder's Justice League. All right, not a boy. You would think it would be uh, like number one for me, but or number two, but there are points in this movie where you can see that like this was put together during a pandemic after the fact. Right. This is kind of an assembly cut. Like I, I, I love this movie to death, but there are some scenes that don't entirely fit or like the the martian manhunter cgi isn't perfect because they had to rush it they only had so much money like these these things are understandable but it doesn't it's not going to hold up as well as it could like 20 years from now right but it that movie still fucking rules i love that movie but oh yeah hell yeah um okay so um, i guess i'm on number two all right number two uh shazam and the reason why I picture them is I think this has one of the most emotional through lines of any superhero movie in the past, like, eight years. Um, oh, yeah. The, I don't know, like, just the arc that Billy Batson has to go through is so refreshing to me. And I don't Finding know why that is. And then coming back to the family. Yeah, like, they make Shazam unlikable for the first, like, you know, half of the movie. Because that's yes. exactly what a kid would do if he was given those superpowers. And I think that's just so refreshing to see. And I think that just makes his heroic journey even that much more uh, effective. Um, I think it's really funny. Zachary Levi is a massive talent. And Jack Dylan Grazer almost steals the movie from under him. Um, I think the Mark Strong villain works really well. They give him like a really good motivation and backstory that makes you feel sympathetic for him. Oh, really? um, yeah. You know, I, I think... He's still clearly a villain, but like... Right, but you feel for him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They do a re- that opening scene really does a lot of work uh, for him in a lot of really great ways. I just really like David F. Sandberg. Um, I'm very excited to see the sequel. I think the Shazam family was one of like the most unexpected surprises. I didn't know we were going to get that. The Shazamly? Yeah, the Shazamly, right, exactly. Um, I didn't know it was going to happen. I mean, obviously I knew that, you know, there were characters. Um. But yeah, I, I love it. I think it's just a blast. Um, and it, it, it's the closest thing that like a superhero movie has gotten to like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. And like, that's like my holy trilogy. So the fact that this movie like thematically and emotionally like hits those levels, it's like, yes, give me all of it. So, you know. Yeah, I totally get that. That's where I'm at. What do you got for number two? Number two for me is The Suicide Squad. Adam boy, nice. Great movie. Starro is amazing in this movie. Every character gets a, a moment to shine. I don't think that Harley gets as much of like a an emotional through line as you would expect, but she does get a journey still. Mm-hmm. Like you, you do see her kind of find value in herself in a way. I just, I wish that maybe we had seen her struggling with that a bit more at the beginning. But other sure. than that, every part of this movie fucking rules. My stomach dropped when all those characters died at the beginning. And I, I know. actually felt like a little sick. I know, right? <laughs> the stakes for the rest of the movie, even though they don't really kill a whole lot more characters, it, it's 
they're so high because you know that he's willing to kill. I mean, he kills Captain Boomerang right away. Right. And then we do lose Rick Flagg in like a heartbreaking scene. Yeah, the fact that we're able to like actually like Rick Flagg, you know, after like kind of the boring American white guy that he is in the first one. And now here he's like just kind of a goofy leader. And you're like, oh, I love this guy. Uh, it makes me more excited to see what Rick Flagg was going to be in the air cut. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of room there. Um, and you can really see a lot of, even characters like King Shark who don't get like a huge dramatic like arc right there's still feeling and emotion and these are three-dimensional characters it, it's gun and the ensemble again he's fantastic at balancing that and it really shows in the suicide squad absolutely uh yeah this is my number one it's the suicide squad um i think you know it, it, a lot of people make the comment of like oh this is the most like comic book looking movie you know that i've ever seen and i think in the past couple of years, the closest thing that we've gotten to that is like Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. This feels like number two. There are shots and sequences in this movie that feel ripped off of a comic book. Um, oh, 100%. You know, the transitions and like subtitles that he's able to make out of like objects in the movie are brilliant. I think every cast member is completely likable. Oh, I like every single character in this movie. I like every single There's character. There's no big blue sky beam. I know. They have to fight a giant... We have Starro in a movie. Can you believe that? We got Starro. Fucking Starro? Like, of all the... Just... Like, I know that the trailers gave gave it away a little bit, but just... Kind of. The, the fact that Starro actually gets, like, a big action scene is just so bonkers and amazing. And they, they put it in the movie. Right. It's in the movie. It's and it's there. an R-rated movie, so they actually, like, kill Starro. There's so many deaths in this movie, and it's glorious. <laughs> Not to sound like a psychopath, but it's true. And then, you know, just the touching crown, it's got Weasel. It's got Weasel. I love Weasel. Everyone loves Weasel. Everyone should love Weasel. And the fact that he didn't die at the end was, I, the you know, people... The scene with Weasel is, I think, my favorite part. Just him, yeah. like, running all <laughs> weird. Trying Listen... To- Everyone was cheering when Andrew Garfield and Toby showed up in Spider-Man. I was cheering when Weasel was figured out to be alive at the end of the Suicide Squad, all right? Oh, yeah. That's where I'm at. Um, 100%. Yeah. All right. Number one, what you got? All right. My number one is Batman versus Superman. There you go. Nice. I'm going to talk about this movie for a little bit. I, uh, some people say that this movie is not uh, political or that it's, it's a little dark. I will admit it is dark as shit. But sure. I think that in contrast to the Marvel movies, it makes sense to start adapting some of the darker uh, stories from the DC comics and then move toward a lighter future mm-hmm. as these characters come into their own as superheroes. You see that, I, I love the idea of an old grizzled Batman encountering what is essentially science fiction immigrant Jesus mm-hmm. and being radicalized by evil billionaire Mark Zuckerberg uh, represented by Lex Luthor, who is pulling the strings of the media to turn this white billionaire against the space refugee is inherently so political and just charged with so much interesting shit to talk about. And it's so evocative. I mean, we, we first see Superman when he blows up a CIA drone over the Middle East. Like, that's the first thing we see of him. Right. Uh, we, we see 
the Batman from the Dark Knight, uh, the Dark Knight Returns, face off against the Superman from Superman Birthright. Right. It's weird. You actually get to see a happy ending for the Dark Knight Returns Batman, which you would never expect. Yeah. Because they bring in one of the saddest endings for Superman. And it, mm-hmm. it all sets up, I mean, more movies in the future. We get some of it in Zack Snyder's Justice League, but I'm, I'm hoping we get even more because I really do want to see the end of that arc. Yeah. Uh, the way that it addresses the third act of Man of Steel is some of the best filmmaking I've seen in a long time. Just having Bruce Wayne run through the destruction of the Battle of Metropolis to open that film, you you see like a whole new perspective on it. Watching the movies back to back, you really, it feels like a cohesive story mm-hmm. where you, you see this thing happen that Superman doesn't really have control over and you see exactly how it radicalizes Batman. And just the characterization of Batman in this movie, I understand why people say Snyder just wanted to make a Batman movie. He, <laughs> You even even in like this the smallest moments where you see the first reaction Thomas Wayne has to a gunman is to ball up his fist and swing at the guy. You you see that coming through and like who Bruce grows up to be. Oh yeah. To break the movie down into minute long chunks, there's a podcast that actually does that. Oh really? Um, yeah, it's fascinating because it it's structured in many ways in minute long increments. Uh, Snyder talks about like making bricks in the editing process and then just building his, his cut like that. So the, the first 10 minutes of that movie work like clockwork and literally every minute ends on like a cut or like a cool sound or something. It's just the editing in that film is so good. And the fact that they cut 30 minutes of exposition from the damn movie makes me so mad <laughs> because like of course it doesn't work if you cut the exposition of the movie right yeah we need to know the, what's going on if yeah, you cut exactly. the subplot about lex luther manipulating people then yeah. he's just some crazy guy who pees in jars and sends it to congressmen like you need a you need to see him doing evil shit or it, it's weird like I, I got it in the theater at the time like i, I felt it but you if you think about it after the fact it doesn't hold up as much the right. theatrical cut doesn't hold up as much as no the, the ultimate edition is the way to go with it and there's everything from references to the book of revelation and like horses get used a lot as a motif in the movie the mm-hmm. imagery of horses and like the, the four horsemen of the horsemen, apocalypse right, yeah. to doomsday and it's you can see this big it's like he's Snyder is conducting an orchestra, right? Mm-hmm. It all kind of moves together and it works in a way that's you wouldn't expect it to. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, the fact that it was followed up by this like bastardized version of Justice League really kind of pulled the rug out from under it because people had complaints, like people had complaints about Man of Steel that were immediately addressed in Batman Superman. There are things from Batman Superman that are immediately addressed in Zack Snyder's Justice League that just aren't in the Joss Whedon version. Yeah. Like we see that Bruce has grown when it comes to Zack Snyder's Justice League. We see that he's like, literally, we, he goes from having a five o'clock shadow to in the sequel, we see him shaving. Like it's these little beats that 
add more context and make it feel like one larger, like an epic story. Yeah, but, there was a plan for it. You know, there was yeah, consistency really that was see, there. You can see that plan like taking root, especially in um, Kevin Smith has talked about this. There's this thing in comics, the splash page. It's usually mm-hmm. it's one or two pages. That's it's just a single image, and it's supposed to be this really evocative image or this really important moment. It it always screams intent. It says, "Hey, we're we're either planning for something crazy in the future, or this is a moment we've been building to this whole time." Um, Snyder does that a lot with uh, Batman, Superman, and all. I mean, all of his movies to a certain extent, but the nightmare scene where you flash forward and there's a fascist Superman and like the world has been burned and you see the, the lake or the, the body of water between uh, Metropolis and Gotham has dried up and there's a giant dark side stamp on it. Right. Like just sitting in a movie theater, not expecting all of that. And getting all of that is just, it's the most quintessential like comic book moment you can get from a blockbuster like this, where you're like, oh, this is a much, much bigger science fiction story that I have no idea about yet. The Flash shows up and he's like, am I too soon? And you're like, wait, wait, time travel? And then he's just gone. Gone. Like it's all of this setup and it, it still works with the, the arcs that these characters are on like you see batman have this nightmare and then that's a big part of what's helps to radicalize him to actually try to kill superman right and even then like that like that also kind of uh, like leads into like what he's doing in the Zack Snyder justice league it's like why he's doing this because the enemies are coming you know he needs to prepare um even in like his other dreams were like he goes to his his parents' graves and that bat creature comes out. Like in the background, you see uh, a stained glass image of like Michael, St. Michael slaying the dragon or whatever, but the colors are kind of Batman and Superman-ish and they've changed it to do that. Like there's so much detail and intent in this movie that clearly they were sitting down and planning out a lot of stuff and it takes it consistently takes big swings over and over again throughout the movie and it's trying to do like a unique take on these characters it's it's really refreshing to see like a 300 million dollar movie that's like maybe this will work let's fucking find out i love that yeah and it 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 swings for the fences and you gotta you gotta appreciate the swing you know i i personally i think it it flows perfect and i think the pacing works perfectly but I, I understand that a lot of people are not drawn to like lightwise very dark movies right like just visually it's a dark movie and it's kind of long like I get that it's not for everyone but as part of this larger whole it, it makes sense as this very dark middle chapter leading to what is weirdly also kind of a sad movie with Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, but it's like heroic was, at the end. Like, I, I found a sense is. of, like, heroism. I feel like they, they do wallow a bit more in the sadness than they would have in the theatrical cut of the sure. Zack Snyder's Justice League. But, like, that makes sense. It's a, a longer movie, and in a lot of ways, it's about what Snyder went through, too. So. Right, right. But I, I just, I love 
every part of Batman v Superman. And everyone should listen to Batman v Superman by the minute because mm. the more you sit down and rewatch this movie, the more nuance you find in it. And it's incredibly dense. And I don't think people were expecting a dense movie. Yeah. They were expecting a romp because it's a super, it's a superhero movie. And they were expecting like, we were a little upset about Man of Steel being kind of somber and destruction heavy. I'm sure that they're going to correct that in Batman versus Superman and make it like a, a fun, like a cool action movie. No, no, it's about like uh, hearings that are held about like people, people dying on mass in Metropolis. Right. And Superman has a, an identity crisis and like, it's some dark stuff, but it's all building on the themes of Man of Steel and it's creating this larger narrative and it it's functions as its own story. And Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of the interesting thing, you know, to tie it all together. Like, DC, because they've given us so many, like, different, and, you know, in the past 10 years or so, like, the fact that they're able to give us so many different, like, tones and stories, like, some of them are going to mesh with people and some of them aren't like someone you know i a buddy of mine hates shazam which i mean first off like that's not okay but i i can see why that's the case like it's so drastically different from something else and again with the snyder thing like something like you like it really connects me because of like the philosophical and the imagery that's like going on in that stuff um and that, and that i think that's kind of dc's strength right now where if they keep giving different tones and styles i think we'll be much better off um than you know kind of the marvel machine where everything's kind of you know kind of blending together at this point yeah i i think you you feel it in the marvel television oh yeah Uh, absolutely it you can feel that like they're trying to push these new tones and new directions but they have to hew so closely to the movies that yeah by the end they gotta yeah they gotta tie everything somehow dc has managed to make a universe where shazam and peacemaker exist in the same world and i can buy that (laughs) that is fucking difficult yeah, yeah. But like, I can buy that because it, it's more representative of like life in general. You know, there's tragedy and there's comedy, and it, right. The MCU very much functions as like one big thing, and this this feels more varied and I don't want to say realistic because it's not. But it's, it's, <laughs> are you saying Starro is it realistic? What are you talking about? <laughs> it's refreshing. Yeah, I agree. You never, know entirely know what you're gonna get like we can have an emo batman oh yeah a three-hour emo detective batman movie and then we can also have like a silly aquaman fighting like a or aquaman playing drums with an octopus movie we can have both of those right and i think that's beautiful don't you (laughs) love that um all right. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Jimmy, thanks for coming on, man. It's always a pleasure talking, uh, you know, Cape shit. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to do so. As this. Love me some Cape shit. Anyone, uh, anyone who doesn't, I feel like is missing out. But, you know, mm-hmm. anywho. Um, that'll do it for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. We're on there. Episodes will be coming out. We have the Batman coming out next week. I'm very excited. We'll have an episode uh, on that as soon as that's released but uh thank you guys Can we do an episode on just colin farrell's fake chin i feel like that deserves a 12-part podcast i feel yeah I there's a lot a going on investigative series on 
where this came from and what's going on. I agree. I, I, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. Uh, be, be on the lookout for that pod. That'll be coming very soon. Mm. Um, <laughs> anywho. All right. We'll see you guys later. Rachel Maddow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll see you guys later. Take it easy.